Dean Bangson, research scientist, North Dakota State University. One of our favorite guests here on The Crude Life in the Multimedia Cafe, we have Dean Bankson uh, with the uh, professor, uh, I'm sorry, research scientist with NDSU. Been a guest, well, boy, we would go back, what, to the Minot Bakken conference back in, what was that, 13, 2013? Has it been that long ago since um, you kind of first got into the Bakken uh, studies, that sort of thing there, Mr. Bankson? It, it goes a ways back. Yes, it does. Um, you know, our first our first peak at the industry actually uh, goes back to 2005. But we were we were kind of at the at the ground level uh, monitoring the industry when things took off in about 2009. So it's been it's been a long. Uh, I'd say we've been we've been looking at this industry now for about 12 years. Pretty amazing, really, when we look at the last 12 years, you know, without getting into war and peace by any means, just kind of a, a elevator, escalator of an overview of the last, you know, boy, 2015, we're talking 14 years now that you guys have been studying kind of that Western North Dakota um, evolution, the Western North Dakota evolution. Just do, do you have any comments just, you know, from the hip without any you know, real time to think about it, just being being involved in the day-to-day part of it, what you've seen, that sort of thing. Just any thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, we've gone through a, uh, a period where we had no idea where things were going to go. Then we had the bottom fall out. Then we've had things stabilize. And so, you know, what I see now is, is we've kind of got some of the growing pains, some of the shock is, is wore off from what it is that we've got in the state, where's this going? And uh, I think now we're seeing, you know, more of the mature end of, of, a, of a much larger industry than anybody had foreseen, you know, five, eight years ago. So let's fast forward to today because we have a study that came out recently and I'm looking at the PDF that you sent me over and it does say North Dakota Energy Day, March 5th 2019 so my guess is is that this study was prepared for for energy day or something along those lines but uh talk to me a little bit about the study and then how energy day got in, in involved there well i think it'd be easier to do the second part of your question first energy day is uh uh put on by various uh energy interests in the state as a means of trying to uh, provide some uh, information at the Capitol, um, and it serves a multitude of purposes. One, it, it provides exposure to the industries. Um, it gets some of the, the industry uh, business leaders and, and stakeholders involved in understanding how the legislative process works in the state, um, gives people a chance to interact. Um, it's traditionally been done uh, the first part of March as a means of kind of the 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 timing of when it might have the, the greatest effect in terms of being able to get their message across. Um, we've started, uh, as I mentioned, this process of looking at the industry goes back to 2005, pre, pre-shale, uh, essentially. And while we never intended for the studies to be timed in a way that, that they're only available on energy day it's turned out that with the the timing of the data collection and the work that we've done that it's been a good combination for us to roll out the study results uh in in an energy day type of uh format at the capitol so 
what we did um, this year was we had the seventh uh, installment in the series that we've we've been looking at, and uh, we basically provided a, a presentation then that showed to anyone who was involved uh, changes in labor, uh, changes in business volume, changes in tax revenues. Uh, essentially, what's the footprint of the industry at this point in time? Non-political study. My guess is that's um, one of the reasons why I pointed out Energy Day, because Energy Day oftentimes gets gets very political and that sort of thing. But this study is a non-political study. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, all this all this study really does is attempt to measure the, like I said, the economic footprints. In other words, yeah. we're we're measuring information that's already occurred. We're looking at uh, adding up the number of jobs in an industry, looking at the tax revenues generated by the industry, looking at the business volume generated by the industry. And this is done uh, in a similar context to a bunch of other industries in the state. So this is not a unique exercise on our part, but uh, yes, it is non-political. it's an unbiased, objective yeah. assessment of what we think the industry size is. And I just want to point that out because we do a lot of non-political. In fact, the majority, if not all of our content is non-political here on our programming. But something like this gets used as facts and figures for budgets and political bills and agendas and that sort of thing. So I think a lot of times it can be easily confused that the uh, people creating the facts and figures have a political bias or something like that. So that's why I just kind of wanted to uh, flesh that out a little bit before we get into the study, that this was a non-political study. This is something that's been done. It's your seventh, you said. It's been being tracked since 2005. So um, what we're about to discuss is is non-political. It's just meant to be what it is. So hopefully the people will grab the information and adjust their lives accordingly from this type of economic information. Isn't that kind of the idea of this study? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> Good. We're on the know, same page. Hey, when I get on the oh, same yeah, page no, with someone, I, I feel like celebrating. <laughs> this this information, along with every other study that we do, and all of the, the various industries that we take a, a portrait of, is designed to be consumed by the general public. And it's designed to be educational and informative. Um, and really what it does, it just helps identify what your economic players are in in the state. And what we have found in the past is, is that if there isn't a source of good information available, uh, oftentimes people will start pulling together whatever information they can find or put together whatever they think the number is. And, and we found that that's always problematic because then you've got, you know, all kinds of estimates floating out there and nobody knows whose estimate is correct. So. Um, it does serve a purpose as, as uh, you know, kind of landing uh, a piece of information that says, okay, here's what the size of this industry is, here's what this other industry does, and therefore it fills that information gap. So let's talk about this study a little bit and what some of the key takeaways are. So looking at it from your perspective, um, what would be, say, a couple of the key takeaways that you saw. And then I'm going to ask you about a a few things that um, I think that probably Western North Dakota would like to know. But just from the researcher standpoint, what were some things that either surprised you, validated what you had already known, or just 
like uh, little factoids that you think people should know? Just a, a few, you know, two, three, something like that. Well, I think one of the things that we've been observing um, and, and something that went back into trying to understand what was happening with the industry when things were in their rapid expansion phase, like from 210 to 214, was a lot of people wanted to know where is the industry going to go, how big is it going to get, and so part of the, the job that we were tasked with in terms of not only estimating the size of the industry, but you know we got involved in looking at population and, and business growth and looking at forecasting. One of the things that we were saying in that is that expect the industry to become more efficient. Expect things to change. This industry will not continue to operate at this at this type of a of a combination of, of factors. They're going to be looking to make things more efficient, more streamlined, less cost, less overhead. This is this study really, I think, uh, is starting to show the first signs of of those trends, and it really shows to me the maturing of the industry. We went through a massive price collapse in 215 that led to tightening of the belts that forced the industry to become more efficient than maybe they would have under you know a longer timeline and really what we found with the study is is the business volumes are coming back um the industry has a similar footprint in the state in terms of the dollars generated but the jobs have not responded commensurately with with what we would expect to see if we were going back to, let's say, metrics that existed in the industry in 2014 or 2012. Let me jump so, in for just a second right yeah. there. Did you guys flesh that out at all? I know that's not your job or it might not have been part of the study, but that's a key indicator that the, the volume is coming back, but you said the jobs necessarily aren't. So to me, that says that technology is really showing its 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 potential. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent doesn't matter. But to me, that sounds like you know if the volume is coming back, but yet maybe the workers or the, the that sort of thing isn't that they figured out a way to streamline technologically, either through automation or artificial intelligence or something like that. Is it, are you following me at all with that? Well, there's there's no doubt that technology is playing a huge role in that. Um, you know, you can break the industry out into into the two main employment categories. One would be production of oil and gas. Another one is development of oil and gas. And we're seeing efficiencies in both halves of the industry. Now, some of those efficiencies are represented by the fact that, that you can put a well in the ground and have it up and running in a shorter time period than you used to with the same amount of labor. So that makes that makes things more efficient. We're also finding that the industry can do things now that require a lot less labor than they did in the past some of that's infrastructure um some of that has to do with the fact that more and more of the wells are now being hooked up with gathering lines and, and that we have what we expected to have back in you know when the industry was expanding but the infrastructure had not caught up so it's it's kind of a multitude of things technology technology is playing a big role in that um infrastructure is playing a big role in that um, and you know, while we didn't get into the specific jobs that are that are being affected the most, um, what we looked at was kind of economy or you know industry level type of metrics, which was showing that you know the the number of jobs that the industry needed from the production side was less than what we would have had if we were looking at the same situation say five years ago. 
One of the trends that I noticed in your study that I kind of earmarked as something I think people across the country and people in North Dakota specifically would like to know that it seems that the uh, petroleum industry investment into into infrastructure has uh, gone down significantly from the peak was a 3.4 billion back in 2013, 2011, 2.8 billion, 2015, 2.6. But the most recent one, 2017, 1.9 billion. So has our infrastructure, is, is, is that just because of the downturn or I, I guess I'm curious because I keep hearing about all these big projects, you know, the Permian's got 85 gajillion dollars worth of projects. And I heard that, you know, North Dakota does too, but um, your numbers seem to think there's a decline there. Well, what we observed was, was the, the amount of dollars going into uh, infrastructure development is down from the peaks that we saw in previous studies. Now, some of that may be that, that yes, we are getting certain elements of infrastructure in, in Western North Dakota caught up. Um, what we kind of saw with the numbers that we collected was that the industry is still expanding infrastructure in those cases where it needs to meet uh, an increase in some type of output, whether it's gas, whether it's oil, um, you know, and so we're dealing with uh, pipeline takeaway capacities, uh, gas processing volumes. We're still seeing investment in those infrastructures. Where we're kind of seeing inf- infrastructure fall off is in, in you know, development of the other types of things that the, the industry was putting money into here five, five, eight years ago. So the industry is still still putting in infrastructure. They're still spending a, a fairly considerable amount of money. It's just that uh, it's more targeted now to changes in production. And in your report, I see that where you've got gas processing plants, midstream crude oil pipelines, and you've got water treatment, housing, that sort of thing. And and um, there's still good investment, gas processing plants, crude oil pipelines, midstream, and then gathering systems. You're right. Then it's just the rest are like non-existent. I don't even see crude oil rail loading, water treatment, housing, lodging, and miscellaneous. There's really nothing there. Boy, those really fell off, huh? Well, if you think about it, I mean, we've added we've added oil capacity, oil takeaway capacity, and, and you know, I would direct in individuals interested in learning more about that to the North Dakota Pipeline Authority. Justin Kringstead has got all kinds of statistics on that, but we haven't had the need to build any more rail loading facilities. Um, we've added takeaway capacity with the with the pipelines that have gone in and are recently online. Oil production uh, has reached an all-time high, but those highs are just slightly higher than where we were, so it's not as if we've doubled oil production. So incrementally, you know, we've been adding capacity to take that oil away, but it's been in the form of, of pipeline capacity, not rail capacity. Um, you, you know, the the housing issue, depending on who you talk with, is is still and it still can be a problem. But the but the companies are not investing heavily in the work camps and the temporary lodging arrangements that we saw that were such an issue in 210 to 214 when when we had a flood of workers coming into Western North Dakota and we had nowhere nowhere to house them. Um, housing has in in some capacities caught up i shouldn't say caught up it makes it sound like it's it's we're right exactly where we need to be that's that's a 
a whole other study in itself. But so there, there stands the reason that we're not going to see as much investment in some of those areas that we had in the past. Transitioning to job service, by the way, Dean Banks, an NDSU research scientist on the line with us here. And what we're talking about is the economic impact study of petroleum sector in North Dakota's economy, which we all know has been powering the upper Midwest for about a decade now. But uh, boy, did you know that, by the way? Um, I remember a couple years ago, petroleum industry brought Stephen Moore into town. And I've checked in the next couple years, it was the same thing. But the only industry that's added jobs a net gain of jobs over the last 10 years is the mining industry, which is the oil and gas industry. Every other industry's lost jobs. And I always found that very interesting to me. And so whenever I talk about job development and when I talk about that sort of thing, I like to keep that in mind because what we're about to talk about is the job service distribution of petroleum industry employment. And it's part of the study. And it's, it's for me, and you can disagree with me and tell me to jump off a cliff, but it's hard to, to me, it's hard to say mining only has X amount because the petroleum industry so, it's it just, it, it's impact and its ripples go so far beyond um, what they get credit for. And so when I look at these job distribution things, I kind of, I kind of look at them halfway and think, okay, well, if you took away mining, at 50%, how would that impact the rest of those jobs? Do you, do you get what I mean by that? Well, I think, you know, when we when we do these studies, we're, we always attempt to look at jobs in two capacities. One one are the, the jobs that are actively involved in the, the industry itself. So if we were to talk about jobs that the industry is providing, um, we could think of individuals with the, the drilling rigs, fracking crews, uh, those guys running truck, um, we're looking at the people that are servicing the wells, the workovers, those are, are people working gas plants. Those are, those are jobs in the industry. And then we also want to take a look at, okay, how does the industry affect jobs that are related to the business activity of the industry? Those are indirect jobs. And then we have all the jobs associated with the consumption of goods and services by people that work in the industry. Those are induced jobs. So what we want to look at here is, is what are the, or what is the total amount of job support created in the industry um, within the state of North Dakota? And so when you look at that perspective, um, the industry has had a huge presence in the state. Um, even if you were to ignore, let's just say we, we decided we don't want to talk about uh, secondary jobs and want to look at just jobs in the industry. Um, we had, you know, here uh, back in 2014, it was estimated we had over 90,000 jobs, direct employment in the industry. Um, and so the, the size of the industry when measured in terms of labor and compare it back to the size of the state's economy is a reason why we've seen such big shifts in employment in the state is that we don't have a state that's large enough to absorb all of that. Uh, basically, the industry has gone up and down the last, well, since 2014, went down at 215, finished its bottom at 216, came up, came up again at 218. And if we look at that same trend, it, it, it it's there with the state-level employment. So we've got, we've got, we, we have <clears throat> other industries in the state 
but they're not changing their employment <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in a way that even remotely influences the up and down that we're seeing with the petroleum industry. So where are we at with the petroleum industry? Just from, let's just vertical them for a second. You know, we're talking 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2016. 2016 was kind of the, was was that, that, that was a little bit of a down year, 15 down year. So where are we at with the jobs in terms of this study? What did you see with the, just the in, energy industry? Well, I think if I can, if I can paint the canvas here for just a second, when we did the first study, we we had a, an estimate of about 5,000 jobs that were in the industry and supported in the state. And we all know that those numbers grew rapidly and, and grew to a level that nobody really has ever seen in North Dakota. We've never seen growth like that before. Then what happened was we had a huge price collapse and then it bottomed in 216. So what I like to do is I say, okay, if we were to go back to the 216 level, let's say that that oil production and development out there really slowed down and that was going to be the new normal. How much growth have we seen from when things were first measured to where we're at in 216? In direct employment, 216 was about 31,000 jobs. So we went, you know, from, well, let's just do the same metric. And so when we looked at secondary employment we and combined it with direct, we had 47, we estimated at 47,000 jobs. So we have an industry that went from about 5,000 to 47,000 in a 10-year period. Now, most people would argue that 216 was an unusually low year, and I would say, yeah, it was. We had, uh, I don't remember the exact rig count, but we had we had a, a fraction of the rigs working in the state, but we were still dealing with, you know, 13,000 wells. So if we look at that from that standpoint, the industry has maintained uh a size that I think is larger than what a lot of people thought. Um, and then now looking at 17 and 18, uh, we're back uh, north of 55,000 jobs in the state in 2018. So it kind of speaks to the to the how that we've grown the industry and it, it's not entirely being driven by oil development. So if we were to pull all the rigs out of the state, or at least the vast majority of them, and we look at what's remaining for employment, we still have an industry that's approaching 50,000 jobs. So a study came out with Jade Stone Consulting, Jade Stone Consulting, excuse me, I slurred my words there for a second after drinking coffee, Um, and it had to do with the amount of revenue the oil and gas industry uh, created for the state. Are you familiar with that study? I have I have looked at it. Um, okay, that's it. That's all I want to know. I haven't, and, I haven't spoke with anybody on it, but yeah, no. I did look at the numbers. And, and the general gist is about half of the budget comes from the oil and gas industry. Is that what you took from took from it in terms of a very shallow, not even a toe in the water look at that study? Is that what you kind of took away, or was that something else? Well, I think the the total volume of dollars. Uh, that flow into the state coffers from the industry. We know it's high. Um, we know that it, it is by far the most dollars of any industry in the state that we've measured to this point. Um, I think one of the things that, that that study spoke to me about was how integrated all of the areas of the state are with the distribution of the dollars that are put forth by the industry. And so you can look at the volume of dollars or you can look at how those dollars are distributed. I I tend to look at it 
because I've already I already understand the share of the state revenues that come from the oil and gas industry. But I looked at the distribution as 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 a very big story from that study um, that and we're seeing those dollars flow. But every county is receiving money from from the oil and gas industry or redistributed funds that that came into the state from the from the industry. I thought it was a really important study and. Um I know I, I was referred to as, you know, PR agency and a political study and that's I didn't take it as that. I, I, I understand it was used as political fodder, but at the end of the day, I thought it was a very non-biased, non-political study. Did I mean, is that is that am I out of line for thinking that or was it a political study? I, I don't have any reason to believe it was political. Um, right, I, 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 I know it was paid for by an ad agency. I know that, but I mean, it didn't. It did, that did not seem to detract away. Now, I don't want to get stuck on this, so I'm sorry I, I brought it up. The reason I brought no, it up, no, I, I, you, I, you I, understand I, what I'm I, trying to do here. Yeah, my my perception of what the study did was it went back and it attempted to count dollars that had been distributed. It didn't. It didn't ma- measure or come forward try to say. Well, the dollars that went to Watford City are more valuable than the dollars that went to Devil's Lake. Right, exactly. Um, and it didn't. It didn't try to say that the western part of the state is getting more money than the east. It didn't make any value judgments based on on the dollars. What I saw was an attempt to actually go in and record the dollar flows that have been occurring. And to the extent that that study relied on actual data, um, I would have to say there was very little political overtone from the, the methodology standpoint, what happens after the information is released, of course, that's, that's, once it enters the public domain, I mean, you know, everybody can use the information for different purposes. But That was a hard I study, I think, for, I think that was a hard study for people to swallow because what it showed was how much the state is reliant on oil and gas revenues. That's what I really took away from that was like, I was shocked at how, reliant so many counties including Cass County which is on the opposite side of the state how reliant they really are to those oil and gas revenues that that's that's what I took away from the study was that well that that's the distribution I'm referring to is is right. just the voluminous <laughs> I don't know that's not a really good way of saying it but the the magnitude of the distributions were substantial throughout the entire state and I think that's I think that is something that is probably not readily visible because a lot of a lot of people don't spend time worrying about what the local governments where their revenues come right. from. They're more interested in, in you know what do I have to pay? What's my tax rate? You know, they look at things from the contributing side, not the receiving side. And you know, those that track the flow of dollars um, look at it both ways. And when you look at it from the flow of dollars. Um, it has a much bigger presence in, in our local governments than what most people probably realized. So the reason why, by the way, that's Brent Boger with Jadestone Consulting is the gentleman who did the study. That available that study is available at thecrudelife.com or our YouTube. I just go to our YouTube page or our Facebook page. That's the easiest way to find it. Uh, it's a couple months ago we did that interview, if you'd like to know more on it. But the reason I prefaced it was because you guys had a few slides in your study on government revenues paid by the petroleum industry. So I wanted to flesh out the micro before we talked about, I imagine you did the macro. Is that correct? Yeah, what we looked at um, was we categorized 
revenues into kind of the where does the revenue come from? Is it a sales tax? Is it an income tax? Is it severance tax? And that's the mechanism through which we measure the dollars. Um, we're not looking at the funds they go into, nor the the rules behind how those dollars are used. What we're looking at is is how big was the garden hose or how big was the fire hose that you know that that moved the dollars into the state coffers. And so, from that standpoint, yeah, we attempted to track. Uh, basically both the taxes paid directly by the industry and tax collections that stem from the secondary business volume. Uh, talking to the, to the point about the government revenues paid by the petroleum industry, um, the ones that are most visible or at least garner uh, a, a tremendous amount of scrutiny and, and, and constant observation is the severance taxes. And what we found over the course of the third, over the seven studies um, that we've done, is that that has remained, and probably in all likelihood will remain, the single largest source of revenues produced by the oil and gas re industry in North Dakota. Um, and then what we're finding is that when we look at uh, state and tribal royalties, those have been increasing, and that flows right back to you know where is the oil production occurring in the state. Um, we're seeing a tremendous amount of, of oil activity uh, on the Fort Berthold Reservation. Um, we're seeing, you know, those numbers going up, but they do track fairly closely with sales, as you would expect, because severance taxes are such a large component of that. Um, the revenues that we looked at in 2017 um, were almost as large as the revenues that we had uh, coming from the industry in 2015. So the government revenues were nearly back to where they were in 2015. We, we've got a little ways to go before we would get to the numbers that we measured in 2013, but the revenues are uh, are rebounding to some extent. How about employment uh, changes, that sort of thing? We talked about the industries, but the actual employment itself, have you seen any any changes like, you know, I know you guys track the public and private sector, and then you also track the petroleum in this in this particular study. Was there any trends that, you know, there was a dip here and there should have been a spike here or that sort of thing? I know you touched on it earlier, and I just kind of wanted to, I guess, microchasm that little spot there. Well, I think there's, there's several things we can look at with employment. Um, you know, we can look at employment within the industry. How is it potentially changing or, or what's driving those numbers? And then we can back off and we can look and say, okay, um, here's what we believe the petroleum industry's share of total state employment is. And then we can compare what's been happening in the industry to what's been happening at the state level. And I provided some, some statistics on that uh, in, a, in a couple different slides on Energy Day that showed the one was the share of growth in the state that came from the oil and gas industry. And the one that I showed uh, later in the presentation was how well changes in oil and gas employment track with changes in the state or vice versa, however you want to want to form the causality. But um, the, the industry, I've always said in the last, probably the last 10 years that the, the oil and gas industry is the biggest driver of change in the state. Um, and you can talk about whether you believe it's the largest industry or not, that's really not the purpose of what we were doing here. 
but what we've seen is is we've seen more jobs go in and out of this industry uh, to the extent that it's shaping the changes that we're seeing at the state level. So do you think the uh, employment is going to rebound? Pardon? Do you think employment's going to rebound? I see that's a kind of a, a part of the study you guys did, and I normally you don't you guys don't speculate. So um, I see that will well, employment think- rebound as one one slide you guys have, and I'm thinking <laughs> if I'm going to get you to speculate, man, I'm going to do it. Well, I think the the purpose of that being phrased as a question is to get people to think about um, what what we're learning as we're measuring the industry. Okay. So if our sales volumes um, and uh, the number of wells that we're putting in the ground are not dissimilar from previous periods, wouldn't we expect uh, employment to be similar if we were to compare that metric? And what we're finding is is that it's not. And so that speaks to the issue that we we talked about earlier, that um, efficiencies in the industry are going to suggest this industry needs fewer people to perform what it's been doing than it has in the past. And so that was a question about will employment rebound is not so much a forecasting question as keep in mind that, you know, we are not probably going to go back to the 90,000 jobs uh, in the state anytime soon. I'm not saying it can't happen. I mean, we could have a geopolitical event and price of oil goes off the chart, but in terms of what the industry itself is doing and what we're observing with the number of jobs is is that uh, sales might be back, uh, we might be sticking more than a thousand wells per year in the ground, but that doesn't mean we're going to return to the employment levels that we saw, you know, four or five years ago. This was kind of a nice part of the study. By the way, Dean Banks and with us, NDSU research scientist, we're talking about the economic impact study of the petroleum sector on NDSU's, I'm sorry, on North Dakota's economy, also the region um, in terms of job impact, et cetera. But you just studied North Dakota, I get that uh, in the industry, but it does impact the region. And I talked to a guy the other day, even Canada. So international impact here, folks. Okay, so the study I'm looking at impact per well and impact per rig. These really do, in terms of if you're going to Instagram something or you're going to bullet point it, uh, these really tell the story, don't they, Dean? Well, it's, it, it helps because when we, when we come forward and we say an industry has this billion in, in gross business volume and it contributed how many billion to the state's gross, gross state product, and we start talking about large numbers, um, it becomes difficult to to put those into context, and oftentimes, you know, we, we we do this with other industries too. It's you know, when you have a when you have a large number or a large set of numbers, can you bring it back to something that people can relate to? And that's the purpose of the of putting these numbers in in a function of impact per well and impact per rig. And yes, the numbers are large, um, and I think that's reflective of of the business volume that's that comes from these activities but when we look at impact per well i mean we're we're well over you know we're just under two million dollars in business volume in the state per well 150,000 in wage and salaries um you know over 100,000 in severance taxes you know we have still have over one job uh in the state per well um and when we look at the impacts per rig 
they're you know they're equally as impressive. Um, you know, we're looking at each rig that you see is it contributes 150 million um, impact to the state. That's your business volume. Uh, you know, there, there's in the metrics will vary a little bit between you know 180 and 200 jobs uh, associated with those rigs. And so when you look at it from those perspectives, yeah, the numbers are 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 quite large. That's that, that's the part that I was I, I just cannot look past that 199 direct and secondary jobs per rig. Am I reading that right? Yep. That that is incredible, isn't it? Well, the the reason that number is high is you understand that uh, this that, is so, not, so that that is a high number. At least we got a baseline yeah, there. That 199 direct and secondary jobs per thing. And that's a high number. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, it's a high number, but there's there's a re, it depends how you want to to. Well, the 199 is reflected in the fact that we're counting fracking, we're counting the support that goes into providing all the necessary inputs and materials that go in with getting a well up and running. So it's not limited to the jobs that are on the rig itself, those those individuals that are doing the actual drilling. It's a broader concept than that, but we put it on the on the we call it impact per rig because that's the physical activity that most people can identify with. Well this is what I think people need to start understanding. This is why I'm saying that, you know, um when you start talking to people and they and they want to end the fossil fuel industry and all these different things, I just don't think they understand what they're talking about and how much of a just immediate impact they would have. Like I was talking to someone the other day, and this is this is not to meant this is not to get into politics here, but the whole you know let's end fossil f- fuels movement that a lot of environmentalists are trying to do. And when I see like the 199 direct and secondary jobs, to me, that's like, you guys have to really understand this, that one rig has this much of an impact. And actually, honestly, I think that's being kind of conservative because we're not talking about the cafes, are we? No, not directly. No, that's Uh, what I mean. So we're not even talking about the third direct jobs here. We're only talking about the direct and the secondary, but you know as well as I do that the cafes and a lot of those you know, flower shop type things, they, they would not be in business if the rigs were not drilling. Is that, is that well, a fair there, statement? There's a considerable amount of employment that's supported uh, because of the rigs. Now, the one thing... See, that's, that's why I love you. You can take my blunt statement and actually make it more factual. <laughs> well, the one, one of the challenges that I have is, that's part of my job is when we look at how our jobs supported and created we have to look at the flow of dollars and, and how activity supports the creation of a job. In other words, if let's talk about retail because you or a cafe because you wanted to use that as an example. How does a cafe expand employment? Well, it would expand employment if the existing number of jobs are inadequate to handle the, the volume of whatever it is, number of meals or number of people or number of locations. And that and that's driven from a, a demand side. Um, one of the challenges with the drilling activity that we put that, that caveat to is that a large number of these guys um, are here on shift work. In other words, they, they're here, they work long shifts, 
they work for so many days and they're off. A fair number of them kind of, I, I call it fleeing the state to go back home for a few, short period of time. But this, this commuting workforce is more prevalent in the drilling part of the industry than it is in the production side. So, you know, we, there is quite a bit of job support as a result of that, but perhaps not as much as we would think if, if all of those jobs were supported by in-state residents as opposed to a commuting workforce. Kind of so, wine. Oh, go ahead. So go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say. I mean that that's one of the challenges we have when we look at this is is how much of the payroll that's that's being generated by the industry gets translated into the personal uh, consumption of goods and services. And in some industries, we have a near hundred percent resident workforce, and we see those numbers are adjusted upwards a little bit, like on a per worker basis. But because that's you know that's a that's a difficult number to derive. We use we use some statistics to come up with with estimates of that, um, and that's what they are. They're estimates. So, uh, how many jobs are supported by drilling? It's easier to measure that more precisely when we look at the flow of dollars that come from the supply of goods and services that go into the drilling and fracking than it is from the jobs that are supported by workers that we know are probably not state residents. Dean Banks, an NDSU research scientist on the line with us here, and uh, we're kind of talking about the economic impact study of the petroleum sector. Last, This is the seventh installment that they've done since what, 2005, you said was the first year? Yep. Okay, so uh, since 2005, so uh, you can certainly go to the Dean's website, and they've got uh, them there, but we'll have them on ours as well. I imagine the Petroleum Council has it there as well. So there's a lot of places now to find this particular study and if you want to take a look at it we'll have the links available but just kind of final thoughts here wrapping up we've gone over a lot of information and um what what are you kind of what do you want people to take away from this either you know did we is there something we should reiterate is there something we forgot maybe you want to mention just kind of i like to give guests the final final thought and the floor so to speak so the uh, go ahead man the floor is yours we appreciate that um you know, I think there's there's a couple school of thoughts. One is people are waiting for things to go back to the chaos that we had before, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, we look at what occurred in 216, uh, and people and people look at that as a floor. We have a job. We have an industry that supports employment. You know, nearly 10 times higher than it did in 2005 in 216. So we've we've grown the industry. The industry is now growing again. Um, I think that bodes well for the state. Uh, will it will it change commensurately to what we saw in the past? I don't think so. But nonetheless, uh, it, it remains one of the biggest drivers of, of economic output in the state. 